there are some fundamental laws in marketing that have been essentially completely ignored. And from my perspective, that's super exciting because it asks the question, what other fundamental empirical laws might exist out there that all marketers should know about? What's up, people? You're listening to A Quick Read, an advertising podcast that talks book smarts and street smarts with the people who have been there, done that. Today's guest is Enable CEO and marketing technologist Brian Dennett. He stretches our thinking with how brands grow by Byron Sharp and challenges us to look at the data for insight-driven results. You know what to do. Tune in and turn up. What's up, my man, Brian? How you doing? I am good, sir. How are you? Doing good. Now you're up in uh, you're up in Grand Rapids, right? I am for the moment. Although in two weeks' time, I will be reloading to Austin, Texas. Okay. Well, both are great cities. We we were up in uh, Grand Rapids uh, just a little bit ago. They got some some good food up there. They got some some nice things. Uh, a little a little garden, a uh, big giant garden sculpture garden to go visit. It's got all the stuff. Yeah, yeah, Grand Rapids is definitely a nice little city, and the thing that always surprised me is how nice the beaches are up here. Yeah, oh yeah, man, the lake is just the best. So, for those of you who have never been up that way, come out to the Midwest. We got something to offer. So, um, all that to say, uh, man, I'm excited you're on the show. Uh, for those who listen to the show, um, you know I try to bring on people from all over, different shapes and sizes, and I've had a chance to work with Brian um, as a creative technologist. And so he's going to share a lot of his journey today about how he helps drive those insights from data. And so that's how I'm connected. Um, but Brian, before we jump into that, man, we've got to find out, uh, how did, how did you come to the conclusion that you were going to pick this book? How, uh, yeah. How, how brands grow yeah. with, uh, Byron Sharp. So, the, the thing that I really appreciate about this book is this is an academic who basically went through the exercise of challenging whether you know the, the marketing soup du jour uh, has any merit to it. And what he found is that there are some fundamental laws in marketing that have been essentially completely ignored. And from my perspective, that's super exciting because it asks the question, what other fundamental empirical laws might exist out there that all marketers should know about? Um, like the, his big thing is the whole double, double jeopardy law that essentially nothing else matters other than growth, like loyalty and churn and all that stuff is secondary to growth. And to grow, you know, take some tactics that are not necessarily intuitive to the modern marketer. And he's like a big proponent of like going back to basics and more mass marketing and things like that. So it sounds sounds a little nerdy. Like we're getting into the data here a little bit. We're getting into some science based thinking stuff. Is that is that true? <laughs> yes. So I <laughs> am definitely a bit of a nerd when it comes to these kinds of things. You know, my my background is technology and information systems, and and so I'm a big systems thinker. I definitely like to try and boil things down to first principles and really have a, a good foundation in terms of what are the hard truths that you can operate from and really trying to connect all the right dots. And, and so this book definitely resonated with me as I'm trying to wrap my head around 
what are the right and wrong things to focus on in marketing. So let's hear how you got from being a tech guy and technology and now you're here you are on an advertising podcast and you're you're working with agencies across the country to help them understand how to get insights out of data. So how, how did that start? Did you graduate high school and say, I'm jumping into the data? <laughs> so almost. I, I definitely started out thinking I was going into the comp sci type domain. Originally thought I'd probably end up more in like IT security, maybe even do like a three-letter agency type thing. Um, but I really fell in love with development and kind of fell into doing custom development for Fortune 500 type companies. So, you know, worked with Colgate Palmolive and Burton Snowboards and Johnson & Johnson and learned a lot about custom development and process engineering and all that kind of stuff. But in parallel to that, always had these entrepreneurial interests and a lot of what I ended up digging into was this whole niche of digital marketing and the psychology behind marketing. Like that was stuff that I just really geeked out on. And now that I'm doing the entrepreneur thing, it just kind of seemed natural to pursue those interests a little bit further. Yeah, no. Well, it sounds like, you know, that systems thinking type of thing brings us sort of to that first idea. You know, that this book uh, he really starts to talk about operationalizing marketing. In the beginning of the book, he makes a parallel and connects the dots of how, you know, when you think of an architect, you know, they come up with these amazing buildings and they're beautiful. It could be the Taj Mahal. It could be something as wild as like a Frank Gehry. But those buildings, as beautiful as they are, they are absolutely following the rules of physics and um and they have to be able to hold weight and you can't just, you know, just throw something else onto it uh, just at your whimsy. So you have to sort of play by the rules. And he starts to make a parallel back to the data and marketing saying that, you know, in some ways marketing operates kind of similar. Like there's some rules you have to sort of follow or there's rules that you could sort of find in the insights. And so I guess... Talk about how that's been true in in the work that you've done in your career, whether that's, you know, you mentioned uh, Burton uh, Snowboards or Colgate. How has starting to think about, you know, marketing in this a little bit more scientific way started to emerge and pan out in your career? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess the the big thing that was an eye-opening moment for me as I got more into the marketing and marketing tech space was understanding that there is a gap in terms of the evolution of the the professional in the tech space or in the business space relative to the marketing space. And so if you think about there being like this 30, 40 year um, time period where business and tech really intermingled and this whole notion of continuous improvements and reorienting around KPIs, like all that stuff happened and happened kind of in a flurry. And, and then marketing has kind of been on its own little island because in part, marketing is fuzzy inherently, right? It's like there's, there's KPIs, but it's hard to know like real truths about them. It's hard to disentangle all the effects that lead to those KPIs. And, and so I think for that reason, there's been this, this weird gap of transferring some of the continuous improvement philosophy and the process engineering philosophy. And I feel like those are 
some of the same kinds of tenets of what Byron Sharp was alluding to with the architect analogy, where there are these fundamental ways in which to think about an organization to make that organization more effective over time. And I don't hear a lot of that language or see a lot of that technology really being used effectively in the marketing space right now. Yeah, I think oftentimes it seems like there's a lot of sort of flavor of the month, you know, like what's what's the new trend that's happening? We should be trying this. We should we should hop on TikTok or we should be, you know, posting this type of content or, you know, stories or whatever it might be. So it definitely seems like in the space there's a lot of sort of what's working, copycatting, those sort of things. And if I'm hearing you correctly, maybe there's a way that offers maybe a little less risk, maybe a little more strategy, a little more certainty, a little more, hey, let's just look at the data and look at history for how these things sort of play out. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think there's an argument for going back to the basics to some extent. Like, I think one thing that's, if, if I try and look objectively at what has happened in the marketing space and how marketing tech has kind of stolen the narrative and ran with it, um, like if you think about like paid media and how big that's become or this whole emphasis on uh, churn and customer cohorts and retention, like a lot of that stuff, I watched that bubble up from nothing as the SaaS model came to fruition in the tech space and technologists are very good at selling to themselves. And so I feel like a lot of marketing tech was oriented towards themselves as tech was finding its footing with these SaaS models. But along the way, they kind of took the rest of the marketing world for a ride. And I think a lot of those tools and techniques and philosophies, while they have a place, uh, I don't think that those are necessarily the right techniques or the right things to focus on and I feel like there's a moment now for like hitting the reset button and really just trying to figure out what are the things that marketers should uh, care about, like what actually matters. And from my perspective, it's really cool to think that there's this moment where every marketer can kind of take a deep breath and kind of reinvent themselves, reinvent their organizations, and, and really just focus on what's working. So you know the next question the listeners have. Right now they're like, okay, he just sounded like he's alluding to that he might know what matters <laughs> or, 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 how this, or how this works. So do you have a good example or maybe a case study of where this sort of idea of operationalizing marketing might play out? Or what does it look like in, on the ground? So, I mean, some of the work that you know, we've done, uh, Enable AI and Leap, um, is kind of in this vein. And, and so if there's this overarching hairy problem of, you know, we need to figure out how to create um, an environment for continuous improvement in marketing. The, the place that we've opted to start with is on the whole social media analytics and competitive cohorts um, market research space, in large part because there's so much data so readily available in that domain. And really what we've been trying to focus on is, can we get better at putting the data in a place with a user experience that's good enough so that we can really shrink the time to insights, um, really expedite the ability of the creative director or the marketing research uh, strategist to, to quickly understand what's going on 
for a brand, for their competitors, start to build up that anecdotal experience, and then be able to go out and do their thing as subject matter experts. And, and we do that by applying a whole bunch of you know, machine learning, AI, magic to just describe data more effectively, allow you to drill down into that data more effectively, to, to constantly shrink that time to insights. But from my perspective, it's, it's all about empowering the creative, empowering the, the human, empowering the strategist so that they can go out and do their thing. Because again, you're the subject matter experts, the technology should just be enabling you. Yeah, so it sounds like you're setting up kind of a, a, a second big idea is that really when you, when you apply this thinking, it's, it's about provoking and inspiring the insights out of the data, right? So it's about telling a story and saying, hey, because of these patterns, because of these laws, because of these histories that we can see in, in marketing over time, um, because we've been able to put a structure operationalize, so to speak, um, we can start to draw insights that can, you know, create some really interesting things. So do you have an example or have you seen, or maybe there's been a space where you guys have been experimenting or you've sort of played or you've observed where this sort of thing has happened with when it comes to insights from the data. So what does that look like in your world? Um, specifically, let's keep, let's keep it focused on social media. So I think a lot of people are looking at social media and they're, they're wondering, okay, what does this even mean? Like I've got these likes, these reactions, these user engagements, so what? Where yeah. does that for you turn into, you know, where does the machine learning convert that to insight? Sure, so I, I think that there's, there's kind of two pillars in the whole social media space, part of it is the vanity metrics and getting past those vanity metrics. So you've got your likes, your comments, your shares. Those are a reasonable proxy most of the time, but they do fall short often enough that you should probably be thinking about going past that. And our solution to that is doing these blended performance ranking systems where we take the vanity metrics, but then we also look for things like comments around advocacy or comments around purchase intents. And we take into account sentiments. And so you can start to kind of put things in buckets of what really had good, healthy, strong engagements that aligns with your business goals, um, what maybe had a lot of engagements, but it was more controversial, and what maybe had a lot of engagements that was super vapid and it was just you know cool imagery or uh, super entertaining, but didn't necessarily move the needle uh, for the business. And I think all of those three things have their place, but I think it's important to be able to take a step back and acknowledge that the vanity metrics are just showing you high-low without the nuance of which of those categories they fall into. And so the first part is just understanding what kind of engagement you're actually getting, and is that the kind of engagement you're trying to optimize for? The, the second part of it is asking the question of what is driving that engagement. And, and that's really where we've been focusing on. And so a lot of what we're doing is trying to deconstruct the patterns in content. And, and so you can start to ask questions around um, what kind of imagery am I using? What kind of language am I using? Do holiday posts perform better? Do pictures of dogs actually perform better? Like There's a lot of those kinds of assumptions that we all have around what are the easy buttons and those assumptions don't always hold water. And the thing that we've been surprised about as we've looked at different brands and done different projects is 
you know, something as simple as like, you know, dog and photo, it's social media or cat and photo, it's social media, they eat those things up. But that's not always true. For some brands, they get away with that. It aligns well with the brand. But for other brands, sometimes that's the worst performing content. And those things have been surprising insights. But just getting to understand where your audience is at, what they care about seeing from your brand, like those are fundamental questions that we're just starting to scratch the surface on. Yeah. Now you mentioned, you know, AI. My assumption is, is back in your your early days, uh, some of that stuff wasn't as readily available. So, you know, take us just back a little bit to draw on, you know, what's built, how this is built upon uh, where you are now. Um, what are the things you observed in a more, you know, I guess analog or in a in an early sense in your career that you started to see and and like some of this thinking and these ideas that have culminated into, I assume, what you've coded into this this sort of AI or sort of algorithm or whatnot. You know, if we deconstruct the AI, what's what are those what what are its binary parts, right? Like, is it it's turning on authenticity? It's turning off fakeness like what give us a little insight into that from a from a layman's term like what's really driving this type of thing um so i guess the the hard thing about ai is that it's been oversold as being able to solve everything you know artificial general intelligence is coming like there's definitely been a lot of effort to hype up this technology and there are definitely cases where it is super impressive what it can pull off, but there's definitely hard limitations to it. And, you know, there's conversations now in the space around bias and all that. And, and so we look at AI fundamentally as a new technology to describe all the marketing data that's out there. And there is a tremendous amount of marketing data out there. And so if you before were going through an exercise of scrolling through a Facebook page to try and understand what's going on there, like that exercise that you were going through, we're trying to figure out how to best replicate that so that you can look at some data visualizations and anecdotally start to understand those trends. And so, you know, things like how how much emphasis is there on product shots or how much emphasis is there on family or, you know, motherhood or whatever, depending on the brand, um, like those things can start to be captured through various clever applications of computer vision and natural language processing. And that's all we're really trying to do is replicate the grunt work so that you can then go out and and do the hard work, the fun work, which is how do I build creative around these trends and insights? And like the, the term you threw out there before, the provoke and insight, or uh, sorry, the provoke and inspire, the, the, one of the, the terms that I've been throwing around lately is creating the fire hose for inspiration. Like what I want to do is I want to be able to take 100,000 posts and boil them down as fast as possible and then provide you the most useful, concise visualization so that you can have your little eureka moments on like, oh, this is a gap. This is a thing that works well that we're not doing enough of. Let's press that button harder. Yeah. And so, yeah, it sounds like like what you're talking about removing the grunt work, right? Because normally that would be maybe a strategist or a copywriter or somebody spending a couple of days diving deep, looking for patterns, looking for things that are interesting, looking for outliers. And it sounds like being able to have something else do that for you um, is really, you know, 
a way to elevate so that you can spend more time doing what you want, which is being creative. So that's, um, you know, I wonder, is there any parallels? This is maybe like, like a, a tangent, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, as you guys have built this and thought about it, are there any parallels to this just in like the human approach? Like, um, like if you think about how we interact and like the patterns of like behavior, like, you know, we, we, we have our day, we have, you know, we eat our meals, we, we interact with people, certain things we say give us more pleasant reactions. And so we say more of those things, other things we say, they don't get pleasant reactions. So we quit saying those types of things. Do you think that some of this, when we, you know, we talk about big data, but do you think as creatives and as, as people who work together, there's something also to learn here about like, just as people, as individuals of, of how we process our own, like small data, day-to-day data. I just thought that was kind of an interesting, when I think about things like provoke and inspire and, and thinking about our business, which is really built on people. Um, has there been anything along the way that where you feel like, you know what? Wow. Some of the stuff we're learning here really has some like everyday relevance to our lives. I I really like the analogy you're you're coming up with with what you described as small data for like how you go through your day to day and your personal interactions because one one thing that I think is a bit of a misnomer is what is big data and if you think about like a human as a bunch of sensors the amount of micro interactions that happen during a conversation that you're subconsciously picking up on on like oh like maybe that was a, a word that rubbed someone the wrong way or yeah. that that joke you know f- didn't fall as well as i thought it would or whatever the case may be like you, there's like this really tight feedback loop when you're interacting with people that we're all really um adept at ingesting and i think if if you look at brands through that same kind of lens the feedback loop is there it's a little bit slower it's a little bit harder to understand but I feel like companies in general have not done a great job of figuring out how to ingest that feedback loop. And that's a big part of what we're trying to get at. And like, I, I like that analogy a lot in terms of you know, just how good you've gotten over your, your existence, your, your whole lifetime. Like Brands have that same kind of yeah. time span that they can really understand and deconstruct and why, why aren't we using that more? Why aren't we trying to figure out those historical underpinnings and, and figure out the secret sauce of what made the brand work early on and, and how do we make sure we don't lose that essence moving forward? Like there should be quantitative ways to start to approach that. Yeah, and I think the, the thing that interested me about exploring that, that conversation is, you know, I think we lose sight sometimes when we talk about data and metrics, et cetera. I mean, you know, to my knowledge, most most posts that are put out there on social media, even if they're automated, were still generated by a human somewhere. You know, they were mm-hmm. put into the queue. The queue has, you know, a date and time it says it's going to release it, et cetera. Even bots are sort of programmed by by humans and people. And so I think it's important to always think back. And, you know, even as we, 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 we have brand speak and we talk about, you know, brands and their personalities and, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, all of these things are still at its core, you know, people, right? We're interacting, we're doing, you know, different things. And so I think that's interesting to, to think about it that way because, you know, it gives you some different perspective on, um, you know, what it is, you know, that we're talking about these sort of interactions. 
Um, is there yeah. anything that um, you guys are exploring with, uh, you know, you guys work with several different agencies and, and other people. Do you guys work with um, direct to client? Are you working directly with brands to be able to uh, operationalize their marketing and, and sort of provoke and inspire insights with them? What does that look like when you work directly with client? So one thing that I think is interesting about the marketing space is it does feel almost like there's three different silos. There's the creative silo, the marketing silo, and then the business silo. And when we talk to agencies, it feels like we're talking to the marketing and creative silos. And then when we talk to brands, it's probably more the marketing and business silos. And just the fact that they're siloed is fascinating to me because that feels like one huge opportunity is just getting those three silos to speak more of the same language, to understand how they impact one another and make that more of a partnership. Because right now I do think that there's some tension across those three different disciplines. And the the big thing that I see when I'm talking more to uh, brands as opposed to agencies is many of the insights that we come up with when we start to look into uh, the responses to content is we start to identify these these insights, these themes around what's what do people care about, or in, in some cases, what do they not care about, and that has huge implications not just for content strategy, but for brand strategy and even for product developments. And like that's one of the fascinating things is that we find these insights. And sure, I can hand them over to the social media manager and they can go nuts and build out a new content campaign. But that feels like we're just scratching the surface on how best to leverage that insights. And that's like one big piece of the puzzle that we're really actively thinking about is how do we get it to a point where those insights that we find in one of these silos can really cross-pollinate across all three disciplines. Yeah, and I think, you know, a big insight, you know, leads us to you know the third big idea of the book that you know kind of a theme we we extracted which is this idea of more effective creative right like what is effective creative i think some people think of creative as this sort of magical force which sometimes it can be you know sometimes there's there's definitely like wow didn't see that coming and and you know something is just really phenomenal or amazing or or just hits different um what do you think makes effective creative you know if you can if you can start to look at these things and operationalize and, you know, pull out strong insights. Um, how does that convert to effective creative? What does that look like from your lens as a technologist? So I'll, I'll start with a little Byron Sharp rant and then tie it back to some things that we've seen. So, so Byron Sharp, his, his opinion is, is that being memorable and being distinct, distinctive are the only things that really matter. Differentiation is noise. It's extremely hard to do that. Um, like, really, all that matters is someone needs to be able to quickly identify that you are, in fact, the brand talking to them, or you are, in fact, the brand that's on the shelf that they knew something about, and make it easier for them to seek you out and buy you when you're in front of them. And one thing that we have seen when you start thinking about that in creative is the whole idea of relevance and distinctiveness in content. And so 
all oftentimes, like I've got like one slide uh, in a presentation that the creatives really appreciate because on the left is all the posts that were top performers for a handful of brands based on vanity metrics. And they're all super simple product shots, super clean, studio polished imagery. And it's like, cool, like that's an easy button. And it just, you know, it basically gives people a moment to say, yeah, I like that brand. That brand resonates with me to some extent and cool, we can all walk away happy. But when we look at the more sophisticated engagement metrics, suddenly the picture changes completely and we start to see a lot more creative imagery and we start to get into the more long form content. And there's something to be said about the giving people something a little bit more meaningful to engage with, something a little bit more uh, interesting to digest. Like that really stands out when you start looking at these more nuanced engagement metrics. And I, I think that there's still a lot to unpack there in terms of what that means for social media and how people market into it and what people are actually looking to ingest when they're on social media. Um, but it does feel like there's an interesting gap in, in how creative can perform and the fact that we're just overlooking it because we don't have the right measurements right now. Yeah. So let's stay in this, in this space here of effective creative and let's just sort of dig a little deeper. If you can unpack for me and you can remove the, the names of the brands or the teams to protect the innocent, but are there any case study or any situations where you can offer up to us and say, okay, uh, advertisers, listeners, creative directors, um, time and time again, we see that blank works. We see that X is better than Y. Is there any of those things that you can share with us? Maybe some insights, you know, again, you can remove the the verticals or the brands or whatever, but what are some of the things that, that you've discovered along the way that you feel like were effective creative insights? So, one thing that I think has been super fascinating is this idea of relevance, of giving people a reason to have your content resonate with them. And I think holiday content is a good example of that. Everyone, you know, has these holidays, they're kind of global or national phenomena. And, and so that, for many brands, tends to be an easy button of sorts. But I think that same lesson goes way further. And a, a good example of that is I have started to see a pattern merge where if you're putting out content and you have the opportunity to enumerate more. So like if you're, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, but if you're, like, let's say you're talking about travel, you're, you're a travel brand. And rather than just talking about your service, talk about your service in the context of all of the nuanced things. So if you're the, the airline, then talk about not just the airline service, but talk about the headphones that they might have wanted to pack and the fact that they're going to listen to a podcast or they're going to read a book or they want their, their pillows so that they can sleep through the flights. Like creating more of that surface area so each individual person that runs into that content can say yes. Like some part of that really resonates with me because that's how I travel. Like that seems to be a really effective hack for getting better engagements. And, yeah. and like that to me is like one of those like really interesting things of making it relevant enough for someone to say, yup, like that describes me. Like that 
seems to carry a lot of weight in social media. Yeah, so almost like just adding a little more more color and tone, right? Like, you know, you could say um, the dog is big or you could say the large Great Dane had paws the size of a oven mitt, you know, or whatever. So it's like, it seems like what you're describing there is you're having, you know, tell the full story because the full story is what connects with the audience versus just the the baseline. Am I, am I hearing that right or am I jumping to conclusions? No, I definitely think that's that's accurate. Like if, if we're using the dog analogy, the thing that I would say is, you know, don't have one breed, have multiple breeds or have dogs and cats or have dogs and cats in a backyard during a barbecue. Like the more surface area you create for uh, it to be relatable to to the the consumer, the better probability is that it's going to resonate. You're going to get better engagement and it's going to just carry more weight for the brand. When you say, can you build a little more on surface area? It seems like you're talking about a very specific expression of that. Yeah, I mean, if if you just think of it from the perspective of, you know, if if it's a mural on a wall and, and there's a whole bunch of stuff on that mural, everyone is going to fixate on the piece of the mural that, that speaks to them, that, that speaks to their lifestyle or really catches their eye or uses the, the right colors, like, Everyone's got things that they latch onto. And I, I think that there's a hack here where if you can give someone the opportunity to find the thing that they'll latch onto, they'll go ahead and do it for you. Gotcha. So what do you say about the the I don't know, maybe the the person or the critic who's like, yeah, but it's, you know, that differentiation. It's about really dialing it in and and really, you know, we only want this one type of person and everyone else, those aren't our people, you know, that sort of a thing. Is that is that no longer relevant or, you know, how do you, you know, how do you talk about that? How does that mash up to that idea? Sure. Well, I mean, if, if you go back to Byron Sharp, he definitely thinks that that's the wrong idea, that there's almost never an argument for trying to be niche because the, his whole law, the double jeopardy law basically says um, the bigger you are, the more everyone will buy your brand and and so the idea of being niche just means that you're cutting yourself off from being able to sell to the majority of the markets who will buy your competitors anyway. And and you know, looking at it more specifically in terms of what we've seen, I I think when you start to go after niches, you're just giving people the excuse to tune out. Like if you're hmm. if you're a sports brand you know, people like all sorts of different sports and maybe they watch soccer occasionally. But if you only talk about soccer all the time, at some points, they're going to just learn to scroll past you. They're going to learn that you are not actually speaking to their interests. But if you if you talk about athleticism and you talk about it in the context of soccer sometimes, but then talk about um, all these other um, sports or athletes, or you draw a- analogies and parallels, like you give people the opportunity to find a way to make that relevance to them and their interests, right? Like that's, that I think is like a big takeaway from Byron Sharp's book. And it's definitely a pattern we're starting to see emerge when we look at this data. As you guys look at things, is there a brand or any, any brands, whether you work with them or not, could be just any archetype type of brands that you feel like, man, they're really starting to get this. They're really doing this well. Just something the listeners can grab a hold of and kind of go, huh, all right, let me look into this sort of type of thinking. Is there anybody that seems to be 
doing it well on social and really taking advantage of that surface area? Well, I, I do think that there's a handful of brands that have stumbled a, across this kind of strategy. Like I, Oreo, I think, is one of the ones that comes to mind. Like they've got their little social media team super dialed at this point. And so anytime there's something trending on Twitter, they've got a post about it. And they just find some sort of tongue-in-cheek tie-in back to uh, their own product and brand. And like that, to me, is like such an amazing uh, playbook that they've developed. Because what it does is it gives them a pipeline to always spit out content, always have that content be relevant to the audience, and at the same time, it gives people an excuse to think about the products, uh, to remember the products, and that that consistent uh, interaction with the brand is one of the things that really lifts a brand over time. Uh, you want those multiple touch points, and and so like there, there's a handful of brands that have done this in different ways. That's just one example of uh, a brand that's like really figured out a cool playbook for. Uh, emphasizing this relevance concept. And they were clearly on the trend with increased surface area with the double stuffed because they should just not even sell the other one. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. The So this is another another side of what we play with is getting into product reviews. And one of the funny things that we have seen time and time again there is if we ask a brand, what are the... 10 features, 20 features of your product, and we actually go and do a deep dive into the product reviews and tally all the times these different features came up, it's normally like, you know, 5%, 10%, 20% of the product features matter, and the rest are just noise. Like, don't screw them up. Obviously, you have to have them, but they're not the things to emphasize. And so, like, Oreo and the double stuff, like, if if it's all about the cream, like, who cares about the rest, right? Like, Let's let's do enough of the cookie to be able to continue to call ourselves Oreo, but we're really just a vessel for cream at this point, right? Like I think every company has those kinds of hidden things, and it's a question of just tapping into that. Oh man, I love that. And, and to me, that's that's what I think we we're talking about when we say finding an insight, right? Because that's you know that's something a creative team can work with. You know, they can write a creative brief that says we're all about the cream. We want yep. a campaign that's all about the cream, and then all of a sudden, where does that go? Where do you do, where do you discover that? Where does that lead us? You know, and that's something that would maybe not happen if we didn't think it was all about the cream. If it was about you know the twisting, if people really loved twisting them apart when they ate them, that's a different creative brief, right? That's a different insight. So I'm starting to see here what you're pointing towards, um, and, and how this sort of sort of works. Um, so is this something that, um, you know, I guess, do you, do you think this is something that's accessible or is it really only companies, you know, like yourself and other companies? I know there's other AI companies out there doing these types of things. As a technologist, looking at it, you know, from outside of your company, just as a, as a, a marketer in the space, is this something that is accessible directly by brands or do you really think it involves the relationship between um, AI technology company agency to potentially interpret and brand to supply the sort of data story that needs to be sort of solved? Is it a is it an interrelational ecosystem, 
or do you ultimately think that the marketplace will drive this to where every brand will just have their own, um, you know, social data AI technologist? Yeah, I I definitely think that it will be more of an ecosystem. I I think as the hype cycle is starting to wane a little bit on artificial intelligence and machine learning, I think one of the big sobering truths is that this stuff is not easy, that building the team is expensive, and ultimately there's a big difference between having data and having insights and figuring out the path from all the data you've collected to the insights takes a whole bunch of moving parts. You have to be able to clean out the data. You have to be able to ask the right questions. You have to know the right algorithms to apply, uh, just rotating and transforming the data so that you get it into a shape where now the right people can uh, view it and digest it properly. Like All these things um, take a certain amount of expertise. And I think that as time goes on, brands and agencies will start to have more and more people that are more data savvy so that they can digest these things more effectively and maybe open up the aperture in terms of the kinds of things that they can digest and turn into uh, actions. But I, I think the whole idea of corralling the data and massaging the data into the right place, like that will continue to be specialized. And, and so I think it's more a question of how is the industry going to figure out these partnerships. And as you've seen in the rest of the tech worlds, there is definitely a weird like winner-take-all effect that oftentimes happens in tech. And, and so I think that that is the bigger question, is as we go further down the rabbit hole of these bigger and bigger machine learning models, um, who is going to have the most useful models and be the best at putting them into practice? And our hope is to just be really good at putting them into practice. I in no way, shape, or form I'm trying to compete with a Google or a Facebook or whoever else on building a bigger, better language model. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, the data's out there, right? Anybody can go get it. It's, uh, there's, there's ways to mine for it and, and have strategic partnerships to get specific data sets. But it's about, you know, being able to, like you said, corral it or get it into a shape where it becomes, you know, more of a useful insight or potentially a dashboard of sorts that makes it easy for agencies and other people to extract those insights. Um, sounds like that's maybe who's going to win this ultimate uh, battle for really effective creative um, from, from insight data. Yeah, we, the, the term we like to throw around is intelligence augmentation. We, we think of ourselves as using a whole bunch of technology to be able to take these large data sets, boil them down so that the real intelligence, i.e. The, the human, the subject matter experts, can go in and do their thing. And, and so all I'm constantly doing is looking at the academic research, looking at the technology breakthroughs, and asking the question, how can I apply this to current modern marketing data sets in order to streamline the path to insights? Yeah. So for those listening, let's say there's... Um some people coming out of college, they're, they're maybe some young technologists. They've, they've had their interest peaked into the marketing, you know, advertising world. They found this show. Here they are. Now they're inspired. They're hearing you talk. They're like, this guy's nerdy. He's talking about data. He used to be in, uh, you know, the, more of the tech field versus marketing advertising field. 
Is there space for, for new people? Is there space for growth? Is there a place for people to get in on this and really lean into this um, from, an, from a marketing advertising perspective? And if so, what does it look like? What do you say to those people who are like, man, this is really exciting. I want in. Um, maybe they sit out at, a, at an agency. What does it look like for them to get involved? Uh, what, maybe they sit at a brand. What's it look like for them to get involved? Or maybe they're like, I don't know what to do. And, and maybe they're looking at companies like yours and looking at how to get involved. So what do you say to the, to the emerging audience um, in this space? I, I definitely think now is a great time to get into marketing tech, um, in large part because you know the, there's a shift happening as um, there's an erosion of being able to use targeted ads and use demographic data you know, like the post-Cambridge Analytica worlds, the post-Apple uh, really doubling down on privacy features, the, the, the toolkits that the modern digital marketer is using is going to have to shift. And, and so there is definitely a big reset happening in marketing tech. And I think with this reset is going to be a tremendous amount of opportunity to circle back and look at the rest of the data that's maybe been neglected or look back at older tried and true techniques and just modernize them with better technology stacks. And, and so I think that like the race is just beginning to think about what the new modern marketing tech stack looks like, because I think it's going to finally go beyond just paid media. It's going to finally go beyond just reskinning recommendation engines and so if we go past those simple tricks, wh- what are the ways that we start to think about marketing in the modern era? Hmm. Now, we're talking modern era, but what about the old schools, right? You know, I always like to try to address all the audience, you know, <laughs> people who are listening. And there's some guys on here, some girls on here saying, Brian, come on, I've been in this business for years. We know that you go into a room, you kick your feet up on the desk, and you wait around for the big idea to come after you put 100,000 bad ideas on the board, and then you box it up, and you ship it out there, and you put the paid media behind it, and you know there, there's going to be some skeptics here. So what do you say to the, to the traditionalists who um, you know, maybe don't trust the data? They're afraid of the, of the robots. What do you say to them, and, and how do they need to think about this? So I, I definitely, especially early on, felt a lot of that resistance from the existing leadership, the existing creatives in the space. And I do think there's already been a shift where people are a little bit more open-minded as we've moved past the moments where people were like, wait, is creative going to be automated by like this AI magic? And as we get closer and closer to the answer being definitively no, or at least mostly no, um, I think that's there's more receptiveness in the creative side of marketing. Um, but I also think that the, the bigger thing is there, there's been this long trend of CMOs losing seats at the table, at marketing becoming the redheaded stepchild of the business world, of budgets shrinking in a lot of cases or just being siphoned out and put into paid media because that's where they've got good ROI and good metrics And so there's been a bit of an arms race, whether or not marketers have acknowledged it, that whoever has the data wins because they can walk into a meeting room and bludgeon everyone else with these cold, hard facts. And they win because there's no way to refute that data. And 
what we're doing and what I think the new modern MarTech stack will do is it will create the right kind of data for creatives to put up a fight, to say, hey, creative works, creative moves, these kinds of needles. And once you start to have that narrative, you can say, hey, over the long term, this is a thing that's impacting brand health. It is impacting market share. It's impacting uh, how memorable the brand is. And I think as more and more marketers see the profound impact of being armed with data, of being weapon, being able to weaponize data, I think that they will become more and more receptive to all of this. And the other side of it is data makes everyone more efficient. And so hmm. pick the parts that you like, figure out how to fit them into your process, and just be better at what you do. Be faster at what you do. Like, don't be scared of innovation. Man, I like that. Be better. Be faster. There you go. You heard it first. Well, man, it's been uh, it's been a ton of fun chatting with you and, and just kind of riffing on what you're up to and, and what you're doing in the space. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, if people are like, man, I, this guy's interesting to me. I like what he's saying. I like that he chose this book. I like how he's thinking. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, so my email is brian at enable.ai, and I am always happy to talk shop. The the way I look at it is we have just scratched the surface in how to create a better operational model for marketers. And I am constantly hungry to hear about the plight of marketers and how we might solve those things. And I'm always looking for what's the next problem we're going to tackle. So please do feel free to reach out. Well, there you heard. There it is, people. He gave you the secret sauce to get a hold of him, to talk shop about this sort of thing what the future holds. Look, this is all about how brands grow. Um, we've got some great conversation starters with Byron Sharp's book. Go check it out. If you like this conversation, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, definitely go to iTunes or Spotify. Subscribe. If you'd like to leave a review, that's great. If you do, I'm sure I can have Brian run an algorithm to see whether or not your viewer is, is legitimate or not. Um, but either way, we appreciate you. And, uh, as always, uh, every other Tuesday at 6 AM, we drop a new episode. We've got all sorts of people, um, and just really exciting content that's, uh, coming up here in the, in the coming weeks. So thanks again. We appreciate you so much, Brian. I appreciate you, buddy. I'll see you sometime in the, uh, in the near future. I know we're going to work on some projects together and, uh, just thanks. Thanks a ton, man. I appreciate you. Brandon, always fun talking to you, riffing on things. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. All right, guys, thanks for listening and we'll see you in two. Cheers. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the conversation on Instagram at a quick read podcast. See you in two. A quick read is a leap group podcast. 